Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Parise of Copper Beach Financial Group. John and Michael, it's so good to be back with you guys. Yeah, Eric, it's been a little while. Yeah, how you how been, are sir? You? Yeah, it's well, the weather's warmer, so I'm doing well. It's we, we just wrapped up Easter not too long ago, and uh, and you guys are just getting out of the gate with a guest right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, we have Christian Hildahl from uh, Varium uh, Investment Partners with us today. How you doing, Christian? Christian, doing well. Thank you. Happy belated Easter. Yeah, yes, likewise. Same to you. Yeah, so we brought uh, Christian on for uh, well, a variety of reasons, and I'll let him go through his background. But we've sort of, when we were planning this podcast, we've touched on a lot of sort of economic trends that we've discussed and uh, on prior podcasts. And we thought that having Christian on and given his background would really be helpful to maybe dig in a little bit deeper. Things like inflation, things like it, where interest rates are, you know, sort of an economic outlook over the next. Well, I guess 18, 24 month time frame, Christian, we could probably talk about, but we, we thought it'd be good to have, have Christian on for that reason. And Christian, maybe you can give a little bit about yourself, your company and your background. Sure. I'd be happy to. So 2022 marks 30 years I've been in the business. I can't really quite believe it, but yeah. So it's, uh, I've been doing this for for almost 30 years now. We've done a variety of things in, in the industry, was a, a bond trader for a little while. Uh, portfolio manager on the equity side, CIO for a, a couple of different firms, primarily focusing on equities. Came up with this idea a couple of years ago about being a focused investment advisor to financial advisors and uh, put together what I think is a, an amazing team of folks, a couple of PhDs, a bunch of CFAs, all of us with at least 20 years experience, some of us significantly more, to try to navigate what is going on in this crazy world that uh, honestly, you know, most folks haven't seen interest rates like this since about 28 years ago, 1994. So that is a, you know, we've got inflation that no one's ever seen before, and interest rates finally backing up, coming out of the secular bull market of almost 40 years. And uh, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting 18 to 24 months for sure. It's it's certainly. Uh, going to be a market that is different than what it has been, certainly in the last 12 years, where everything's gently gone up to the right in really, I think, spurred on by what I think is an artificial economy that the Federal Reserve has has kind of arranged. It's it's made almost a Pavlovian by the dip mentality in, in uh, a lot of folks. And I think it's going to be a completely different experience for investors, for advisors, really having to change the, the paradigm of how they invest, where they invest, trying to eke out every really last bit of, of return that you can get. And in some cases, just hoping to not lose money. So it's going to be a very interesting 24 months for sure. Yeah. One of the, one of the things we always hear, Christian, from our clients is that they're concerned about, they try to point the finger at someone. <laughs> I know that's very difficult to do. They're blaming the president, they're blaming the administration, they're they're blaming Russia. They're they're blaming all sorts of people. If you if you put your finger on, on one thing that caused this inflationary trend, what what would it be? Well, I think primarily, I, I think everybody has a, a little bit of of fault to claim. I just think that you know, over my 
my career, I've, I've heard it a, a handful of times where, you know, the dreaded it's different this time and yeah. it's never different. Uh, there, there's variations of, of, of difference, but for the most part, the laws of, of economics hold certainly over the long term. Sometimes we get disruptions in the short and medium term, which is, you know, 12 years of, of, you know, really, uh, as I said, artificially inflating financial markets vis-a-vis printing money, vis-a-vis easy credit, everything really played nicely into really overinflating assets. I, I think primarily, and, and you know, this this new theory, modern monetary theory, where you know, that claims that governments can print as much money as they want without consequence, I think we're seeing pretty quickly that when you dump six billion, or I'm sorry, six trillion dollars into the market. Um, or into the economy, uh, you know, money's like water. It finds the the path of least resistance and the path of least resistance has been certainly equities over the last, well, I mean, almost over my entire career with a couple of hiccups here and there, some pretty big hiccups. But, you know, the idea that you could put that much money into the system and not inflate hard assets or even financial assets is, uh, I think, the biggest thing that is uh, causing this, this really scary runaway, seemingly runaway inflation. So I, I think it's primarily primarily the fault of you know the Fed being accommodative to to politics and uh, this idea that people can't lose money in the stock market or they're going to freak out has really become pervasive in policymakers' uh, thinking. And I think natural market forces, as difficult as they may be in the short term, create a much healthier market in the long term. I, I look, I think we're going to we're going into a period where it's going to be extremely difficult to really get any kind of positive return. But that being said, you know, we have a mandate to invest for some folks 30, 40 years in the future. Certainly my kids are now getting involved in the stock market as as young adults and you know, they have a significantly different time horizon in terms of where and how they they can put money into the stock market and and over a long period of time get a decent return. It's just probably not going to be in the next 3 to 5 years. So I, I think we're you know, 18 to 24 months. And look, I, I, as I said, very few people have been through this type of market. You really have to go back to the 70s. And those folks would be, if they were in the business at that point, and those folks are going to be in their 70s, 80s, if they're you know, still working in their 90s. So we, we've got this real knowledge gap where you know, people haven't seen a market like this before. I mean, we're talking about either stagflation or recession. Certainly, stagflation goes back to the '70s. We know how painful that was, but you know those that that reset put in place everything that has you know created the environment for the last 40 years. It's been really good to be invested in the financial markets, and it didn't really matter where you went, whether it was fixed income or equities. You were going to make money. It was pre- it was fairly easy. I just don't think we have that environment going forward. Yeah, I, I I see the concern on a lot of baby boomers' faces, the retirees of our community, and it's getting larger by the day. How do you think this is going to affect them? Because they, obviously they have, you know, living off their portfolios one one way or another. How do you think that's going to affect someone who's retired or just retired and facing this uh, next few years of, of of a challenge? Well, I I I hope that they are certainly reviewing their portfolios with their advisors. And are 
looking to be less offensive and a little more defensive. I think growth has been a fantastic place to be really literally for the last 30 years. When you get interest rates that I think the 10-year probably ends up with a four handle, uh, you get a different paradigm in terms of valuation for, for equities. And if you look at where the market is now, it's priced in the top 87, 87th percentile of, of where it's ever been. So I mean, it, it's pretty rarefied air we're in now. By many metrics, we are way ahead of the game on the equity side. And I do think that a correction and perhaps a fairly significant correction of, of 30% is certainly in the realm of possibilities and probably a, a fairly scary high probability. Uh, so folks have to be a little more defensive and not be that Pavlovian dog that every time the market dips, you get in there with cash and, and you just buy stuff up. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be a slog. I think you're going to have to come up with interesting ways to make money. I, I, one of the things that that we're recommending to folks is is growth has been great, but I think growth has had its day in the sun and a little more boring, but value stocks that pay a decent dividend are going to be, I think, a lot more attractive. A lot of those yeah. stocks are really cheap. And if you do interesting things like a cover call overlay where you're going to squeak out another 2% per year, maybe 3 that's going to look like a pretty good return to most other things that you can invest in. I mean, look, treasuries are historically a great place to hide, but you know, I think if you are essentially going to take uh, you know, a sixty percent increase in yield, which means that bond prices are going to go down, you can't even really hide in government bonds. I mean, ten the ten years up fifty basis points. In the first two weeks of, well, I guess three weeks now of of the month, and I think you're going to continue to see that as the Fed really has to get, if not ahead of inflation, they certainly have to get caught up on dealing with it. Well, and I think that's that? going to be painful. Well, I look, do, it's. A, I, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. How are they going to balance yeah. that? Because you go back to the 70s and 80s when you mentioned earlier, they just raise interest rates to compete with the inflation number. They just can't do that now. So, what do you think their answer is going to be? Well, they can. They can, and they probably will be forced to. Uh, I mean, the idea that the Fed can engineer some sort of soft landing to me is a, yeah. a very low probability because it, it's going to be probably a bit more harsh in terms of what the Fed does. I mean, if the Fed goes 50 in the next meeting and 50 in the in the next meeting, you know, you're 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 going to get a reaction from from the fixed income markets. And that's the discount mechanism by which you you value stocks. So the higher the discount rate, the lower the value of stocks. And if we go up, as I said, another 150 basis points, 125 basis points, I guess at this point, you know, that's going to have a meaningful impact on, on any investment that doesn't pay an immediate coupon or dividend. Uh, those stocks just don't look as attractive with their earnings so far out in the future. So I, I think growth is going to struggle. I think value is going to be a pretty decent place to play. Probably small caps, believe it or not, is uh, they haven't been great this year so far, but they're getting to a point where their valuation looks pretty compelling. And when we do go into a kind of a global recession where big, giant global companies are have to struggle uh, with their overseas investments, and I think you know Europe still is behind the ball a little bit. China is obviously going through some sort of transformation to a much more mature economy. Uh, whether or not their numbers are even real, we don't know. I was reading an article about how some of the numbers coming out of China, a lot of analysts are scratching their heads saying, how can this possibly be? Yeah. So I, I think what we get here is, is companies that are smaller and still domestic 
we'll have a better run than, than folks that are more globally oriented. Yeah, Christian, I want to go back to maybe something you said earlier, uh, just in discussing the Fed, and, and we've even been talking about it a lot uh, on this podcast thus far, but you mentioned the, the political sort of elements now that are maybe weaving their way into the Fed. What Do you have any thoughts on why that's happening, what ramifications there might be with that? Because I, I'm, I'm obviously, the I think, the youngest one here on the podcast, but I, I don't think that there was this much focus on what the Fed was doing 20, 30 years ago. I could be well, wrong with that, but. Yeah. I, so, I mean, the Fed has been a lot more politicized in the last 20 years, certainly probably much more in the last 10 to 12 since the Great Recession. You know, I, in 2008, Paulson, you know, he was in front of Congress saying, you know, I can't go to this this bazooka fight with, you know, with a, with a squirt gun or something to that effect. He's I need, I need the bazooka. And that was $700 billion that got us out of the great recession it took a while, but I mean, it basically shored up the confidence of investors and cut to 2020. And obviously we've got this global pandemic going on and, and the world can't work and folks living paycheck to paycheck required assistance. But, you know, the fact that, that, trillions of dollars uh, were thrown into the system. You know, there's a, there's a humanitarian bit to that, but everything has a price. So the consequence of, of putting that much liquidity into the system and having the Fed actually involved in buying things like junk bonds and really inserting itself into open markets, which should find their own equilibrium, sometimes painfully, but not allowing that natural process to happen has been, you know, I think is, it has its consequences that we're now having to pay for. And the Fed has always been first and foremost in the minds of investors. There's the old saying, don't fight the Fed. And a lot of people just said, look, as long as the Fed is as, as accommodative as it is, you know, that, that money does go, you know, it's the easiest thing to invest in and get out of if you need money tomorrow is stocks, frankly, in some case bonds. But so, you know, the, the equity market has, has, has found a lot of this money and just sheer wall of, of liquidity has, has kind of, in, in our opinion, has made the stock market grossly overvalued. And, and there's, there's got to be either we have really, really low returns or we correct quickly and can restart. Either way, people are going to, I think, feel the pain. As, as John, you asked about folks who are retired or almost retired. I mean, it's a tricky, tricky world because again, where yeah. do you hide? Uh, fixed income is, is probably a sure loser in terms of total, yeah, uh, to, to, total return right now. So you know, getting that current income is going to be difficult. And that's where I think if you look at, if you don't look at the headline numbers of, of the stock market, and kind of say, all right, is this market overvalued? You say, absolutely, it is. Well, we've got several massive companies that are really driving and holding up the indices where within the indices and, and, and some of the other areas that haven't got all of the attention that tech has, you've got some stocks that have pretty mightily struggled and, and a lot of them are in very deep correction territory. So there are some values out there. Um, I think it's just a question of your expectations on what those investments might return, um, you know, to get a 20, 25% return in the next three years, any, in any given year, I think is, is probably only possible if we get a 20, 30% correction before that. 
Um, otherwise, I think we're in a low single digit type of return if we're lucky in equities. And again, certainly clipping coupons is still a viable strategy for fixed income if you're not planning on trading them, but you can expect to open up your monthly statement and, and see losses in your, in your bond portfolio. So that's, you know, the, the real problem that we have now is, is not only managing portfolios, but managing expectations. And I think expectations need to be reset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm, I, I, I'm always concerned about the little guy to a, to a large degree, someone who doesn't have, we'll call them one percenters that have all the wealth and the other 99% are challenged by getting it in a, in a way. Maybe that's a, that's a small or small concern for some, but it's a big concern for many. And, and, and my point is that if you look at the stats, I think the numbers before the, uh, this inflationary trend, that 70% of the people in the United States didn't have enough money in their savings account for an emergency. That's a scary number. And if you look at the reality to that, it's only gotten worse. So although all these major corporations and, and the stock market and people that buy stocks and, and other asset classes, th- those are the upper end of the, of, of the, uh, of the economy, I guess, or the, uh, the folks in our country. But most of them are not not there. So what do you think is going to happen? Because I think inflation, although they said it's eight and a half percent, I think as of Friday was it? Kristen yeah. was it eight and a half? Yeah. Well, I I don't think I don't think it's a real number. I think it's closer to fifteen. If you had fuel and you had food and that, it, the number's bigger. So you got these retirees, you have these folks that don't have enough in their savings account, trying to struggle through all this. What's what's the answer to that? I mean, what, what would I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, but it's a it's a challenge. I think if he had the answer, he wouldn't be on our podcast. That's exactly. Right I mean, <laughs> I'm, just I'm, I'm I mean, really concerned. Sailing around that. in my yacht in the Caribbean. <laughs> well, so the irony of all of this adventurism in the markets and printing of money that the Fed has done over the last 12 years, particularly in the last, I guess, two or three, is that they, you know, they they did it to support quote unquote, the economy, or maybe to a lesser extent, the financial markets. The, the irony there is that you know the top 1% own something like 40% of all the assets and the right. top 10 own like 95. So right. all of this inflation and financial assets, all it's really done is increase the, you know, the one thing that, that particularly one party has, has been screaming about, and, and that's, that's income inequality and, and wealth gaps. All they've really done is make the rich richer because the rich own assets. Poor people don't tend to own assets or people who are even middle right. class don't tend to own that's my point. Yeah. assets. So I, sort of ironically, the stock market correcting 30%, or interest rates going to the 10-year going to say 6%, causing a real revaluation of financial assets is, is going to hurt the rich people more than it's going to hurt the everyday walking around person. And, and maybe what that does is you know, at 6%, maybe they get a decent return on their savings accounts, and maybe they can start, start buying houses again because housing prices won't go up 20% in a year. Things just will maybe become more affordable now. Obviously, when you have to pay higher interest on borrowing for a house or or, or any of that, it, it becomes much more expensive. But I think sort of the knock-on effects of of unwinding what has been probably a, a far too accommodative Fed is that you are going to wring out some of these excesses and you're going to get a repricing, uh, which which ultimately at the end of it may be 
good in in decreasing the wealth gap. History hasn't shown that that's necessarily the case, but I, I think if if you know natural market forces are allowed to reset the market to a more appropriate level, I think everyone's going to be better off. It's certainly going to be painful getting there, but at the end of the day, you know you you you've you've used up. I, I think we've borrowed a lot from future earnings. Uh, in in bringing this market to where it is, and and getting a healthy reset of that is 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 probably not the worst thing in the world, except for the fact that you're going to have a lot of people screaming that you know the Fed is just now they're too tight. You know the Fed very rarely gets it just right, so you know because they they're almost swatting it flies with a sledgehammer. Yeah. I mean that's that's really the you know interest rates are kind of a sledgehammer. It's very difficult to to fine tune them as much as they think that they can. It's 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 a situation where they're almost they're almost forced into two very bad outcomes. One of two very bad outcomes, they allow inflation to continue, and that stagnates the economy. That's probably the worst case scenario. Or they sort of engineer a recession and then keep their hands out of the out of the out of the honey jar and kind of let the market reset, which they haven't really been willing to do since you know the Y two K. Remember how much money they pumped into the market? So this this is something that's been going on. It's a really longer. reactionary Fed for the better part of 22 years, uh, which means that people who got into the business in, let's say, 2000, they're in their mid-40s, except for obviously the Great Recession, which, which knocked the market back for a pretty good loop and, and that we didn't regain those highs for a, a couple of years. You know, Those folks have had a pretty, pretty easy go of it, and that's where you get the Pavlovian response. As soon as the market dips, you just start buying as much as you can, and sometimes you leverage, leverage it. Uh, so, you know the the leverage in this in the system is is getting to scary levels as well. When you start seeing weird things like you know the meme stocks reminds me of what was that sock puppet in two thousand with internet one You start getting weird stuff where things just don't make sense. Crypto's been one of those things that's been. I was just gonna say crypto. Yeah, it's so it's different this time. Well, yeah, okay, it, innovations in in finance have happened and been successful. You know the question is, how do you value crypto. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that drives guys like me crazy who have a more value bent where I like to look at cash flows and I like to figure out what the growth rate is and then I discount those cash flows back yeah, and one of those old fashioned up, guys. That's yeah, what come I, up with the number. One of those old fashioned guys. Yeah. And then what do you do with this thing that just gets made up and it's it almost be, has become a joke. I mean, I think there is a there is a joke uh cryptocurrency that is now mainstream. So you, you know these these things are are interesting to to study and even maybe even put some a you know, little bit of money into because heck why not? But if you ask me what Bitcoin should be trading at, I I can't I can't tell you that, and I don't think anybody can. And anybody thinks they can is pretty a, a pretty bold person. Yeah, what's so. interesting, Chris, what's driving that market are the younger folks. They yeah. just absolutely go crazy over Bitcoin and coins in general and tokens. So they're driving that market more than folks my age or even your age. Yeah. So and it's, even, it's fascinating. It, when, you, it, when you get these meme stocks, I mean, it, you know, how does AMC add billions of dollars when they weren't even open? Yeah. You know, how are they worth three times, four times, five times as much as they were pre-pandemic? Like stuff like that is, is, is one of those canary in the coal mine things where it has gotten so easy to buy a dip and make money that again, it's a Pavlovian response. If you've got cash, you you put it in the market as soon as stuff goes down, and and now you got these guys pumping stuff. I mean, it's a classic pump and dump. And then you throw metals in there, scenario. gold and yeah. silver. 
yeah. which is another asset class that people are just now starting to talk about only because of the inflationary issues. Mm-hmm. But that's that's just another. So I th- the bottom line is, I think the average investor, I think you'll agree, is really stuck not knowing what to do, which is why I brought up the retirees, is that they're, I know they're sitting, and I talked to a good friend of mine over the over the weekend and and she was she was my old secretary and and she's she's concerned she says all this is going up her husband lost half his pension from the from his 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 previous employment and they're concerned about having to pay their bills and and she said we're kind of lucky because we have saved enough that we're okay but but people that haven't saved enough are, are going to be are going to be challenged, and that that was really the reason why I brought that up. I think there's a there's a part of the marketplace is extremely concerned about what do I do with that dollar. I'm not an investor now. I'm I'm a preservation specialist. I want to keep the dollars I have. And inflation's going up. Uh, I don't know where. To, I mean, the stock market's going down. So they're 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 concerned. I don't mean to be be a, a downer today, but I think this is an issue. This is a fascinating topic. And a lot of our a lot of our clients, even at their wealth, are are concerned about the issues. But then there's the other half of the marketplace that they don't know where to go. Yeah, and you know this is one of the things that keep me up at night is is we we manage money for folks, and so we're making active investments in what we think is a pretty bad market. Question is, how conservative do you get? And ultimately, it comes down to, well, are we timing markets? And to an extent, everyone tries to time the market. But if you let the valuation drive that, that process, in the, in the long term, uh, stocks are only worth their future cash flows, the discounted future cash flows. And the more that you have to discount those with higher interest rates, just it's, it's simple math. The, the lower they have to go. So is, is cash an appropriate place to keep 20, 30, 40% of your money? I mean, it used to be you'd get clients to say, well, I'm not paying you to hold cash. And you go, it didn't make a lot of sense in the last 30 years to hold cash. And so you had to really justify why you're, why you're doing that. Now, I think cash is a legitimate place to, to hide money, uh, at least from losses. And so having a higher cash balance and being more selective into how and when you get involved in the market is going to be more and more important. And the only benefit to cash is now it actually has some a decent rate, or not great, because the banks still haven't caught up with, with what interest rates are doing in terms of what they're paying in their money market funds. But I, I, I think cash is, is going to be a really attractive place to hide in some of the really toughest months, quarters, perhaps years ahead. Yeah, Christian, uh, I think we're running a little bit low on time, and I want to thank you for for joining us today. Because I think this has been really insightful. But you know, one thing that I'm gleaning from the conversation with you, and you alluded to it just now, in terms of you being an active manager. But I know that there's really for my career, there's been this push towards passive management, index investing, and not working with somebody like yourself in terms of actively managing that portfolio. And it seems to me that where we are today is really signaling a shift maybe towards needing to have more of that active management focus and working with somebody like yourself to really help with that. And it may be a loaded question because I know that's what you do, but do you agree and see that that is being a more of a shift going forward? Well, it, it's again, this kind of goes back to that, that Pavlovian 
sort of thinking that is when the markets dip, you 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 just buy. And I, I've I've said pretty consistently, probably for the last twenty years, that active managers have done a really great job of of making indexing look attractive. And <laughs> you know, the the problem with most active managers, if you really break down what their portfolios look like, is is their closet indexing. And when you have 200 stocks in, in a single strategy, you know, you're not really making bets on companies, you're, you're making bets on, on essentially the index. Right. And so it has been a, a very cheap place for people to get diversification. And really, you know, at the end of the day, people haven't needed a lot of investment advice because it was fairly simple. Just buy an S&P index or buy the sectors and, and let it run. And I just don't think that that is going to be a successful investment process uh, over the next uh, number of years. I think it's going to be a stock picker's market. I think it's going to be a, a, a place where you have to work harder with your portfolios. Again, with the covered call uh, strategy, fairly simple strategy, difficult to implement because it's time consuming and you have to keep on top of it. And really, unless you are retired or have a job where you can focus on the stock market, Eight hours a day, like we do, uh, you're you're going to need to be a little more nimble. You're going to need to be on top of things, and and most people don't have the patience or the desire to do that. And so, I do think having someone overseeing it, someone who knows valuation, how to value stocks, how to value markets, understands economics, and and honestly can you know crunch a ton of data that kind of leads you down the path of where things you, where where you should be investing is going to become significantly more important. And uh, that that you know it's been long enough, and and you know the rise of of really low cost indexing has 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 made it very attractive to people, and I just think that that is is probably going to be a not very satisfying experience in in the next couple of years. Yeah. So, Chris, if I if I had uh, fifty thousand dollars to invest, how would you allocate that today? Give me your your instincts over the next, if you're saying over the next few years is going to be a challenge in the markets, how would you invest that $50,000? Well, certainly I, if I, it, it depends on the time frame, of course, and, and the risk tolerance. It, it always comes down to, to understanding that. And that's we'll a retirement where, account. Yeah. Someone's okay. So for a 401k planner. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you have to be a little more conservative in in terms of you know growth versus value, I think value is a good place to go. Again, I think small caps in the long term are, are going to be good places to go. Probably some sort of inflation indexed or floating rate bonds, or maybe even you know very selectively finding a credit fund. Those areas where you're looking for some income, uh, you got to be very selective about where you allocate that capital. But I still think that you should have money in the markets, uh, maybe carrying a higher cash balance and waiting for those corrections, in some case, major corrections. Um, you can't time the market. So kind of having an understanding of your risk tolerance and how much you can lose if you put that $50,000 to work, that's really going to drive your, your decisions. If, if it was my retirement account, and I'm you know technically going to be retiring here in the next 10, 15 years, I'm probably going to work longer than that. But if I had a 10, 15 year time horizon, then I feel a little more comfortable keeping that money in. I think you really have to look for a diversified portfolio, probably avoiding Europe right now, selectively being involved in, in Asian markets. But I still think the United States is, is ahead of the curve vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. And it's probably better to keep most of that money 
invested uh, domestically as opposed to to internationally. But there's going to be opportunities that are going to come up in in some emerging markets. I, I I really don't even qualify China as an emerging market country anymore. I mean, they're the second biggest economy in the world, very soon to be the largest. I don't know how that's emerging, but um, I mean, I know the definition. They've got 1.3 billion people, and so the the average person is not creating a lot of GDP over there, which puts them in the emerging market category. But you know, at the end of the day, I think China is going to struggle, but there's a lot of countries that are pretty attractive in uh, in the Asian markets. And uh, again, I, I think the United States is on a much stronger footing than most of the rest of the world and keeping that money here at home, very selectively investing in, in more conservative investments is is probably the way to go for the next three years. And then, you know, maybe the story changes and we'll, we'll you know, the, the interesting thing about stock markets is that they, they never stop moving or any financial market. And you have to make a decision almost on a daily basis as, as to how you're, you're going to deploy that capital. Yeah. Yep. Well, Christian, uh, this, has been, this has been awesome. Very insightful. I want to thank you again for uh, being our guest today. And I'm sure we'll have you on in a future one, because I think uh, we'll probably get a lot of questions and feedback from this. And I just want to thank you again. Thanks so yeah, much. Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Gentlemen, this has been, again, another very insightful podcast. Not always the best news, but here's the thing is that what I gleaned from this is that it's not the best news out there, but there's options. And that's what I love uh, you guys discussing because th there are opportunities, there are options. And, and it sounds like today was more of a theme of there are options for protection. Am, am I getting that about right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's hopeful too, right? I mean, again, being able to protect is better than just just only option of losing. So, John or Michael, I know that people have these concerns. People are watching the news. People are listening to way too much news, probably, and they need some level heads to talk to. So, can you give them some contact information in case they want to reach out? Sure. You can reach us on uh, social media. That we we all have a LinkedIn uh, profile that you can reach out to us on that. You can also reach us on our website www.cbfg llc.com, or you can call us area code 856-988-8300. All right. Thank you so much again. And Christian, thank you for joining us. And of course, our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. 
securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, investment advisory and financial planning services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC-registered investment advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. Varium Investment Partners, American Portfolios, and Copper Beach Financial Group are unaffiliated business entities.